Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Kia ora and hello. I've been asked to tell you about No Labels, the radio show for, by, and about people living with disabilities. The show offers interviews and news about the disability sector in Aotearoa, New Zealand. On Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. Find us on Facebook or go to www.accessradio.org.nz. No labels, our voice for you on Access Radio. Welcome to our March edition of No Labels. And our guest today is Kiri. Kiri um, lives in Hamilton and has been in Wellington um, in the last short while doing some work. But we're going to talk to Kiri about her role, wish, what she does and who she works for and find a little more about how you might become involved with some of their work in the future. So Kiri, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. They're most welcome. So who do you work for and what do you do? Uh, so I work for a sustainable transport consultancy called MR Cagney, and we are kind of like the people that councils go to when they have a specific project, um, but they might not have the in-house capacity to do it. So we're all pretty nerdy and have uh, specific <laughs> nerdy interests. Right. Um, can you, can you define what nerdy is? Oh, yeah. We, we actually have this big... Um, big graph with different types of nerdiness so we have people who are public transport nerds people who are research nerds um people who are climate change nerds and so together as a team we use our different nerdiness uh, to work on projects um, that will help make it easier for people to get around and get access to the things that will help them to live a good life and the nerdiness that i am is i'm a research nerd and i'm an equity nerd and so that kind of comes together and means I work on a lot of projects uh, to do with helping people have equal access to um, the transport that they need to help them to live a good life. Right. Okay. And so the work you do, um, how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for just over a year. I right. graduated at the end of 2020. So did some study during COVID, which was interesting, um, but <laughs> I yeah, graduated at the end of 2020 and since then have been working for MI Cagney, developing my nerdiness in these different transport areas. Right. And what did you study? I did a Bachelor of Environmental Planning here at the right. University of Waikato. Right. Okay. Um, so public transport, that's, that's a topic that appears on our show quite often, um, obviously because it impacts on so many of us being able to access public transport and just being able to get around the community. So can you tell us a little more about some of the work that either you or your organisation has been involved with, um, in particular around um, access to public transport? Yeah, of course. Um, One of the projects which some of the listeners might have heard of or even participated in is a big piece of work we did recently for Waka Kotahi, the New Zealand Transport Agency. And the title of the project was Transport Experiences of Disabled People. And it ended up being a huge, long, nearly 150-page report um, looking into the experiences of disabled people and the transport system. Um, And this was a partnership that we did between us, MI Cagney, um, the Disabled Persons Assembly, and then some people uh, with lived experience of disability in Australia. 
So it was a very collaborative approach. Right. Uh, and because yeah, because access to public transport, it's not just a New Zealand issue, it's a, a worldwide issue. Um, yeah. And I know Australia certainly has been doing a lot of work in that space to make their transport more accessible, like most major you know, countries and, and cities are trying to do. Um, so the report, obviously the, the research has been done, the report is, has it been completed yet? Yep, it's finished. It's uh, We're just waiting on Waka Kotahi to publish it, which should happen in April. Uh, and so once it's all out officially, we'll be sending it far and wide because there were um, there were more than 15,000 responses to our survey. Wow. Um, so that's why I think some of the listeners um, to the radio might have might have heard it because right. we had such a great response from the disabled community um, in New Zealand. And then we also had um, nearly 100 people come to some workshops with us where we delved in a bit deeper to the issues that disabled people are facing as they try to access transport. And a bit of a, a leading question, so feel free if, if you can't answer it at all. Um, so were there any real surprises? Not really. I don't think any anybody was surprised to find that transport for disabled people is very difficult, expensive. It takes a lot longer to get anywhere. Um, and there's also a bit of a lack of dignity with the transport options that people are given, yeah. um, which is not surprising at all. But one thing that I found um, that we weren't necessarily expecting to find was that one of the biggest problems was um, a lack of information flow between the disabled people who are using the transport and then the operators of the transport system. Um, yeah. We One of the things we found is it's very difficult for people to complain. So when these things are going wrong, there's no clear person who's responsible for um, listening to people's experiences. Mm. So, yeah, that yeah. was surprising to me. And I must admit, I think um, access to information and being able to provide that feedback to someone who actually can make a difference or will take it on board and plan to make, you know, to implement any changes is always a, bit, a real challenge. Um, I had an experience just the other day, I was looking to catch a bus and the app I used told me that um, where the bus was going to leave from, which was fine. But the Braille sign that was on the bus stop didn't indicate that the bus was actually going to stop there. Um, and so when I rang up um, MetLink, they told me, yes, it, I was at the right stop. Um, and yes, it was the, the 12 that was going to leave from there and how long away it was going to be. But the, the Braille signage listed all the other buses that stopped there except that particular bus. Um, but obviously mm -hmm. the, the print signage had been updated, but the Braille hadn't. And um, so hopefully they might do something about um, improving the signage. But it, it is a challenge, you know, getting that information for um, a lot of disabled people. And if yeah. there is an issue, who do I you know, provide that feedback to? Yeah, and that's such a good example, waiting at a bus stop, because um, the transport system is so complicated that um, it's the, the district or the city council who's responsible for maintaining the bus stop, but then it's MetLink and the regional council who are responsible for running the buses, and then a totally different company probably who's responsible for the app. Mm -hmm. So if there's a problem at the bus stop, it's not always clear who is meant to be solving that problem and who you can complain exactly. about. Exactly. And I think you know, in every region or every city is different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Auckland is probably quite lucky because they have Auckland Transport who manages, I think, everything 
whereas you're right with Wellington and other cities, um, there are more than one one player in the mix. Yeah. And so, with the um, research, are there sort of any sort of um, major findings or, or recommendations, or is that something you can't talk about just yet? I know I can talk about that. Um, yeah. So yeah, what we found, we we've made a lot of recommendations, and they kind right. of fit into um, two categories. But the the overall recommendation is that us as transport planners and the national level planning, transport planning people um, and then the regional governments and the district governments and all of the transport planners need to take a mindset of having an accessible journey. So rather than fixing public transport and fixing this footpath and fixing that taxi system, we need to take the approach where we're looking at the whole journey. So giving people access to the information and then uh, physical access so that they can leave their house to get onto their public transport mode and then have the guarantee that they'll be safe and comfortable on the trip and then be able to get from their mode of transport to their destination. So that's the overarching goal. Mm. And then um, the first kind of category is what we've called system pillars. So they're the things that need to happen right at the institutional level. Um, and so we're recommending things like um, having it to be just a default that we measure accessible journeys in the same way that we might measure congestion or measure road safety. They're just things that are built into our transport system and we need to build in accessibility to those automatic measures as well. Um, And we need to have like ongoing research into this rather than once every 15 years doing a big report. It needs to be happening constantly all the time because We've done this big report now, and lots of the findings are very similar to a report done back in 2005. Um, But if we're doing it more regularly, we might be able to make more changes. Uh, And we need some better connection across government levels. So um, the Ministry for Social Development and the Ministry for Health should link up with the Minister for Transport um, because transport, it doesn't just sit by itself. It's related to health and it's related to employment and it's related to going to see your friends. Um, And within that institution, we also need to have a a mechanism to promote the voices of marginalised people. Um, So that's disabled people as well as like women and the rainbow community and um, anybody who's not really listened to in the mainstream transport planning. Hmm. And then from there, kind of the next tier down is specific interventions. So having like a, um, they have it in Auckland, it's called PTAG, I think the Public Transport Accessibility group or advisory group or something like that i'm um, giving people the tools to be able to feedback directly um, and improving and educating the transport planners attitudes towards accessibility and helping them to understand like it's not just some isolated incident where because this bus was too narrow the wheelchair user couldn't get on it's like trying to get people out of their ableist mindset to be able to provide genuinely accessible public transport um, and then other specific interventions are improving the accessibility of information and improving the infrastructure and having regular maintenance funds where we don't have to wait for a footpath to be broken to like such a state of disrepair that you can't get past it. Um, we need to be regularly make, making these upgrades to infrastructure so that they remain accessible or become accessible since a lot of our transport infrastructure in New Zealand isn't very accessible. Um, And then the same thing goes for accessible vehicles. At the moment, there's not really any standards for um, what is an accessible vehicle. And 
there's a lot of like misinformation about um how like how to um provide safe transport for disabled people particularly wheelchairs like there's no real standards about how um how you travel with a wheelchair if um, it's safer to be sitting in the wheelchair or transferring to a seat so right. um, there's a lot of different areas of research that need to be done so that's that's our main recommendations is improving the information and doing a better job of listening to the disabled people who are the experts and know what would improve their transport experiences and i and i think you know, you touched on a report that was done by i think it was the human rights commission in 2005 which yeah, I think a one. number of our listeners um um, were, were party to and, and being involved with, I certainly was. And when you look at where transport has moved since then, we've seen you know huge increases in accessibility in some areas, but with new transport being developed or options being rolled out, sometimes some of the gains have been lost as well. Um, and, yeah. and I'm thinking you know, around um, you know, some of the new buses, um, there's been some huge improvements in some of the new buses. I've been riding on the new single-decker um, electric bus in Wellington. And, you know, from an accessibility perspective, you know, whether it's wheelchair or whether it's, um, you know, just being able to get down the aisles with, with a pushchair or whatever, there's certainly a lot more um, accessible. There's still some work to do. And I know Auckland and Wellington are going to be rolling out onboard announcements to to their new buses I think later this year or early next year, which will be will be great as well. Um, but it's that whole thing about, you know, if you build a building, you've got codes that you need to adhere to to make sure that you know, standards are being met. Um, but there there isn't a sort of a wide standard around public transport that says if an operator is going to have a website or an app, then that must be accessible and give accessible information. And I think you know some of those sort of key areas around, you know, if I catch a bus and I'm a wheelchair user, do I know that the stop that the app directs me to catch the bus from is actually an accessible stop? Yeah. Um, you know, are there are there you know three steps from the the waiting area down to where you catch the bus, or are there um, like outside my house, they've got bollards um, so the bus doesn't get too close to the shop veranda because a double-decker um, you know, hits the roof of the shops and so the bus can't get close enough to the footpath, meaning someone you know with a physical disability um, or even you know parents with, with prams may actually struggle to get on the bus at that particular stop. Mm. And it's, it's having that level of detail um, yeah. or contracting a third-party person to provide that information for, for somebody. Yeah, and that kind of lack of certainty is something that came through quite strongly in the report is a lot of uh, people, even if the entire journey is accessible, they might not make the journey if they're not sure and they don't have the information to be sure that it will be. And exactly. we found this particularly with parking is a lot of people, um, a lot of people said, oh, I just don't go out because I can't be sure that I'll get parking and it's too exhausting to go through all the effort of, for example, driving to the supermarket mm. or driving to the, the movie theatre and then finding that there's actually not a park that's suitable. So, so many people have just given up because it's happened too many times. So that's one thing we really want to combat in the future as well. So I have a, have a question for you, which may or may not be related, but we're going to take a bit of a break and let you introduce your first song. So cool. can you tell us what it is? 
Yep. Uh, so the first song I've chosen is called Summer Love by Carly Rae Jepsen. And I chose this one because summer's coming to the end. Um, and it's it's just like one of those summer songs that makes you think of the beach and the waves. And it's just like a nice upbeat song to start right. the morning. Okay. So let's go with Summer Love. a song I actually hadn't heard until um, checking out your list of songs. Um, so I obviously must be listening to the wrong station or something. <laughs> um, so a question that that I've been pondering while you were talking. Um, so we've, and I, and I think this is where, you know, some of the things that you've been talking about, the linkages between different agencies, like whether it's um, 
Ministry of Social Development, Health, um, et cetera, really probably come into play as well, is that we've seen a lot of changes in our environment uh, with the introduction of things like e-scooters and cycle lanes. Did that come up at all in the research that you did? Yes, and I was actually talking to my colleague about this yesterday because we were quite interested by the number of people who or disabled people who responded to the survey who walked for transport and who used a bike for transport. Right. And I think the dominant discourse is like, oh, disabled people don't ride a bike. But um, like one aspect of the answer to this question is actually the number of people, disabled people who ride a bike is comparable to the number of non-disabled people or the proportion of non-disabled people right. who ride a bike. I hadn't um, thought about that. Yeah, so that's one interesting aspect of it. Mm. And then the other one is like we have this huge safety issue for people um, people who are blind or have low vision or people who are hard of hearing who might not notice the scooters whizzing by them mm. on the footpath. And we're actually doing another piece of work, which Thomas is very familiar with, um, <laughs> into the impact of electric buses, which are a lot quieter. And when I was doing the research for this, I found some interesting research from Australia. And I think it was something like 30% of the blind or low vision people they interviewed had reduced the amount of time they were going out for a walk because they'd had a close call with a bike or a scooter, which are quite quiet, or a close call with an electric vehicle. And I think that is just going to become a more and more prominent issue um, as we have this big discussion about climate change and reducing our um, transport emissions. So one of the things we're focusing on at MR Cagney is this idea of an equitable transition to a low carbon transport system um, because there's a lot of conflicting information out there and there's a lot of um, ideas that are proposed by councils like walkable cities and reducing the amount of cars in the city centre and understandably a lot of disabled people are quite nervous about this because the current transport system excludes them so why wouldn't this new transport system exclude them too? And so what we're really fighting for is this idea that people who don't need to drive um, and who have access to other options should use those options. So we're going to encourage people who can ride a bike to ride a bike. And we're going to encourage people who can use public transport to use public transport. But for a lot of disabled people, they have a really genuine need for their car and their car is an accessibility aid. And so we, we have a strong position that encouraging other people who don't need to use a car um, to use other modes will improve accessibility for disabled people because there'll be less traffic. So their car journeys will be shorter. There'll be less people using car parks. So they'll have um, improved access to car parks. And because less people will be driving, there'll be more space to be allocated to mobility car parks. And so we're hoping, like my, my personal vision is for a city centre which has no general parking on street all of the parking is either mobility parking or um, like, for example, loading and servicing zones for like the tradies working in the city centre. Um, and so we'll have this kind of low traffic utopia where disabled people have access to a car park or they have access to really um, accessible public transport. And then there's smooth footpaths with good, uh, good quality tactiles and uh, wayfinding and stuff like that. So that's my utopia vision. And so that's what we're really pushing for at MI Cagney is to kind of achieve that. 
which is great. I mean, one of the things that we've, the reason I sort of sort of touched on the, the bikes and these scooters is that we're doing some work in Wellington at the moment, and you may have heard about the um, Island Bay Cycleway, and there's more and more cycle lanes being installed. But quite often, um, when you get out of a car as the passenger, you're stepping out into the cycle lane, um, mm. or if you're getting off a bus, you're actually stepping across the cycle lane. Um, and I think that's an, another issue for a number of disabled people um, and older people, and I guess anyone who really may not be as quick as um, others to be able to, to dodge and get out of the way of a, of a yeah. bike that's coming, you know, whizzing by. Yeah, well, I could speak from the perspective of a transport planner and also a person who rides a bike everywhere because it's scary as a bike rider as well if someone opens the door and you don't know if yeah. you're going to have to... Exactly, because you can't stop just like yeah, that. Kind of, just like asking, you know, a train to stop when someone steps out, you can't. Yeah. And the cycle yeah. is, is no real difference, except it's a bit smaller, but you can't stop um, yeah, unless you go flying that, over the handlebars yourself. Yeah, a system that doesn't really work for anyone. Um, so in the transport sector, we have this thing called Vision Zero, um, which your listeners might be familiar with already, but it's this concept that we want zero deaths on our road and no death mm. or serious injuries acceptable. And one of the key principles of that is having a system where if somebody makes a mistake, it's fine um, because the system is designed with those mistakes in mind. So that means having um, having separation between um, the the cars parked on the street and the cycle lanes or having um, space around bus stops so that we don't have this terrible situation where scooters and bikes are zipping right past the door mm. and people are stepping out and may or may not be able to see these things coming because they're so fast. So what I'd really like to see is the separation of infrastructure where we don't yeah. have people going different speeds and different size vehicles interacting at high speeds because that's just dangerous for everybody. As a uh, cyclist, um, what's your thoughts then um, of cycle lanes, especially on, on wide roads, cycle lanes um, being quite separate and running down the middle of the road with a, um, a barrier between cycles and cars? We don't have too many of those in Hamilton, so I don't have a lot of personal experience, right. but I would like to see and um, those separations for quite a few reasons. One is because it's just scary sometimes being so close yeah. to big trucks on the road. But the other is it hopefully will improve safety for everyone because yeah. by narrowing the road, it seems counterintuitive, but narrower roads are generally safer for anyone using the road because right. it kind of creates the psychological impact on the driver that makes them want to drive slower. So putting in these um, hard barriers between different users means this re reduces that interaction. And then it also encourages everybody just to move slower. So if an accident does happen, it's less likely to cause serious injury. Right. And on, uh, on a sort of similar note, besides the, the work that you're doing uh, around e-buses at the moment and the work you've just finished, um, are there any other pieces of research coming up around public transport and accessibility um, that you want to give a plug for so any of our listeners can you know reach out and say hey look I'd like to be involved yeah we're kind of in the throes of a lot of research at the moment and have um, for a lot of projects finished our kind of uh, recruitment if you like 
mm-hmm. period. But when we do advertise um, research, when we're looking for participants, we'll always put it on our website, so the MI Cagney website, but we also advertise through the Disabled Persons Assembly. Right. So for people who are interested in public transport, I'd really encourage them to get involved in their local um, CCS access advisory or to look at their local um, disabled group, uh, disabled persons assembly um, local groups, um, because that's a really good place to get involved. Like we've got good relationships with those two groups and right. advertise throughout um, their networks. And so besides being a bit of a nerd at work and being a bit of a cyclist, what else do you do when you're not um, involved with transport and research? I am very into gardening, which provides a nice bit of like meditation after the the stressful days of um, trying to, you know, change the world. Um, And I'm also (laughs) really into um, like sewing and crochet which again are kind of that meditative, you just focus focus on the project. So yeah, that's right. my my way of relaxing and winding down. Right. Oh, okay. And have you always lived in Hamilton? I grew up in Whangaroa, Raglan, or just outside right. of Raglan. Right. Um, and then when I started high school, I moved into Hamilton and have lived here ever since. So I kind of right. have that experience of being the rural person who's got right. no option but to use a car and then... Um, yeah now have a few more options so it's nice to kind of have those both perspectives about different types of travel wow so um the report that you've you've just that's just been completely said you hope it will be released about april um and uh, and i'm assuming that will be um something that again dpa and other organizations will be promoting when it's out there or um if people is there a way people can sort of sign up to get updates from your website at all or um we don't have a sign up portal open like we don't have that on our website at the moment but i'll give you my email address to put in the show notes if that's possible yep um and we also have a big kind of not like a road show like big conference planned but we've got a few ways that we're going to get the results of the report out um so one way is that it will be on the waka kotahi website mm-hmm. um so the new zealand transport agency website and it will be on the mr Cagney website right. and the, there's going to be three three or four versions of it so there'll be the big 100 page nobody wants to read the whole thing report <laughs> and then there'll be a plain, recommendations <laughs> yeah a plain english summary which will tell you what we did, how we did it, what we found and what we recommend. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also have that available um, most likely in an easy read version as well. And then Bridget Burdett, or Bridget Doran, who I work with, who led the report, she's recently changed her name from Burdett to Doran. So you might right. know her by either name. Yeah. Um, and then Paul Brown from the Disabled Persons Assembly are uh, hoping to do a presentation of the results with a New Zealand Sign Language interpreter. Um, so that will be available to people um, in a range of different formats. Wow, that sounds so, yeah. great. If you're super interested, though, um, my email address, yeah, it's kcrossland at mikagney.com and hopefully will be in the show notes too. So you yeah. can email me and I can put you on our list to send the report to. Wonderful. Well, we'll certainly uh, make sure that um, your email address goes up on the um, notes that go out with the, with the show notice. Cool. Thank you. So your last song, or your second song, what is it and why? Uh, this song is called Ungodly Hour by, it's a sister duo. Um, their names are Chloe and Hal. 
And my sisters and I, we used to sing together as kids and do little shows. So I just like the idea of the sister duo. I think the song is really funky and has a cool beat to it. And so do you still sing? Um, Every now and then, but not as, um, as often as I did as a kid. Right. Okay. And what sort of music do you sing? Well, my sisters and I, as children, were, my sisters were more famous than me, but they were like country music stars and right. went touring around the country doing different country music shows and competing right. competitions. Right. Okay. All right. So let's go with... Ungodly Hour. <laughs> Ungodly Hour. Hey, Curry, thank you so much for being on the show today and for the great work that you guys are doing. And I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate and some may even want to be come involved if there's further research that happens so thanks heaps and let's go out with your song thank you so much hit me with your eyes i ain't ever seen i got the view you're walking over here the way that it went down last when i knew we'd be talking all night but I can tell you need to work on you, you, you like you, you, you like you, like you. Mm-hmm. You be playing sweet, but baby, don't you know that talk is cheap? You can't fool me. I wish that you could back it up for me, me, me like me, me, me like me. You know that I, I heard it all before.
That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.